The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motoke Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. We're going to be back in Romans today, so Romans chapter 12. Good to have Pastor Matt back again. Romans chapter 12, we'll read verses 1 and 2 together. All right, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We now come into the most practical portion of the book of Romans. I hope you have your Bibles. We'll be looking at Romans chapter 12 today, verses 1 to 2. After the last 15 months that we have walked through chapters 1 to 11, I hope you have not grown weary of this book which has been called by many people perhaps the greatest letter ever written. These first 11 chapters have given us some fantastic truths and all of them have pointed to the very same thing, namely, the gospel will transform your life. I hope that you've seen these things as we've walked through. The gospel starts in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. You might remember that verse as the Apostle Paul started out right from the beginning. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It will take you from being an enemy against God to being a child of God. This is a very important part of your spiritual life is the very fact that you get saved. You don't get to move any further until you've done that. You see, what is the Gospel? The Gospel is the very fact that I am separated from God because of my sin. My sin is an affront to an almighty, holy God. And His wrath abides upon me. I cannot escape that. He will not give a free pass to sin. Sin must be punished. And therein lies the good news. Namely, that Jesus went to the cross. And God placed all of my sin upon Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So He took my sin, placed it on Christ in your sin and placed it upon Christ. And then He poured out His wrath upon His Son. An infinite God pouring out His infinite wrath on His infinite Son in a space of three hours. There He cried, it is finished. And He gave up the ghost. And the Lord Jesus took our sin. This is the Gospel. And then He gives this promise, if you will but trust in Him, if you will put your faith in the Lord Jesus... 
He will save you. This is the Gospel. Then instead of God's wrath abiding upon me, it has already gone upon Jesus. Now I can be in Christ. I don't have to take my own sin, but now I have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Gospel is for your salvation. But then please don't think that it is just a one-time pray-a-prayer red pill type of thing. No, it is for the rest of your life. That's why he follows 116 with 117. For therein, in the Gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The Gospel is not just for your salvation, it is also for your sanctification. It is for your growth from day to day. We'll see this in just a moment. You don't jump straight to Romans 12. You have to walk through 1 to 11 first. It's for your sanctification. It will change you. You see, the gospel is an ongoing, transformative, step by step, progressive work, practical work, life changing, time taking, life injecting work of God in you, believer. So I trust Jesus, and then for the rest of my life, my life is being changed. I don't pray a prayer, and now everything's done. Oh, I have to trust Him. For therein, in the Gospel, is the righteousness of God being revealed in my life from faith to faith as I trust Him some more, and I trust Him some more, and I trust Him some more. His righteousness is being revealed in my life. That's your sanctification. Your life will be changed because of trusting the Gospel. So as we come into Romans 12, I want you to remember that we do not just jump straight to behavior modification. You know what I mean? We don't look at verses like, here, just have a, have a glance through chapter 12. Have a look at verse 3. I, I say to you, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That's behavior modification. If you just jump to Romans 12 and verse 3, you can preach a sermon that says, hey friend, don't think too highly of yourself. But if that's not based on and rooted in the Gospel, oh, we're just sticky taping good new fruit to the outside of our tree without having an inward change happen first. There are many of them that are to come. Verse 13, distribute to the necessity of the saints. Give to those who are in need. 18, as much as it is possible, as much lies within you, live peaceably with all men. There's a whole lot of these to come in the next few weeks. Chapter 12 to chapter 15 are all practical things. But all of these practical things build upon the foundation of Romans 1 through 11, and that foundation is the gospel will transform your life. So grab a hold of the gospel, for therein we have our roots, and from which our fruit will flow. We come into Romans chapter 12 this morning, verses 1 and 2. There are two main exhortations. I'll give them to you and then we'll unpack them. There are two main exhortations from the text. Namely, number one, present your body. Number two, renew your mind. Present your body, renew your mind. We'll walk through them. Let me read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have two practical exhortations, two things that God has given to us very clearly that we should do, two very clear exhortations. Number one, present your body, and I'll give in parentheses how do we do that and what does that look like. Present your body to the one who owns you. Present your body to the one who owns you. I'll do my best to unpack that as we see this. Let's walk through the verse phrase by phrase, and then we'll unpack it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So he starts off with this statement, I beseech you. That's not a word that we use regularly today. The word beseech means to admonish or invite or even to exhort I can see him almost as it were on his knees saying, please live out the gospel in your life. I beseech you. And then you'll notice, brethren. These commands that flow out, chapters 12 to 15, are for believers. Again, you cannot do these fully without being a believer. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So what should it look like as a believer? What should your life look like? It will flow out in chapters 12 to 15. But this is because you are a believer and Christ is doing the change inside of you and then that change is coming out to the outside of you. Remember, we do not preach moralistic living. I hope you never hear me stand in the pulpit and say, don't lie to your neighbor. Don't commit adultery simply on the fact that you are to be a good person. That's not it at all. Those good deeds that are to happen on the outside are because of an inward change. Don't skip straight to moralistic living because anybody can be a good boy and still go to hell. Oh, let Christ make a change in your life. We said it again. The Gospel should transform your life. By the way, I'll just make a statement here before we go to the next phrase. If you are right with God, your relationship with others will be reflected in your relationship to God. Maybe you've not seen this or heard this before, but you have a vertical relationship with your Heavenly Father that should then flow out in a horizontal relationship with others. And if you want to know how is your vertical relationship going, have a quick look at how your horizontal relationships are going. If these are a mess, there's a really good chance that this is a mess. We'll talk about that next week. Verse 3 goes hard to that point. I'll leave that for next, next week. As we follow through with the phrases, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's going to tell us this practical exhortation of present your bodies, but he's, he's begging us, he's beseeching us, inviting us, exhorting, exhorting us, Please do this, and he's basing it upon the mercies of God. 
So then that causes me to think, well, what are the mercies of God? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Well, those mercies of God have been outlined in chapters 1 to 11. I'll just give you a couple of glimpses of them. In chapter 3, the fact that you've been justified. You've been made right in the eyes of God. You've been declared as righteous as Christ. You've, that's the mercy of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, we cannot gain that on our own. I need Him to do this for me. I don't deserve it. His mercy, the fact that I'm justified, that came out of chapter 3. And then as we looked at chapter 5, the fact that you now have a new identity. For in chapter 5, we saw the fact that we were born in our first federal head who was Adam, and now we are born again into our new federal head who is Christ. We're now in Christ. We're a new creature. We have a new identity. We're not like the old one, which is damned to death. But instead, we are blessed with life. Oh, you have a new identity. That's the mercy of God. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. And then we saw in chapter 8 the fact that the Holy Spirit is indwelling the believer and He's guiding the believer. We saw other things in chapter 8 like He is helping you. The Holy Spirit is helping you in your infirmities. And there will be times when you don't even know, God, how do I pray? God, do I pray, heal me? Or do I pray, God, take me to go be with you, which would be much better? I don't know which way to pray. And so the Spirit helps us even in our prayers. We don't know which way to pray. That's the mercy of God. And we saw other things like nothing will separate us from the love of God. Heights or depths or the sword or peril or hunger. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. That's the mercies of God. And we saw in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 the fact that He always keeps His promises. These are the mercies of God, none of which we deserve. And He has continually been good to us. And so Paul says, think back on 11 chapters of the mercies of God. And because of those things, I invite you, and here's that first one, present your bodies a living sacrifice. So we get a bit practical now. Present your body, a living sacrifice. And while we're talking about it, let's go ahead and see what that would look like. Holy and acceptable unto God. What should a living sacrifice look like? It should be holy and acceptable unto God. So he's calling us. Chapters 1 to 11, by the way, happened in your mind, happened in your heart. Chapter 12 to 15 is going to happen in your body. And so He's calling us, bring that body, present it as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. Now, if you want a really good example of what holy and acceptable looks like, we can go to the Old Testament and see what those sacrifices looked like in the Old Testament. God gave us Exodus the entire book of Leviticus to talk about what different sacrifices should look like. Sometimes it's a turtle dove, sometimes it's a lamb, sometimes it's a bullock, it could be a goat at times. Sometimes it was wheat, sometimes it was oil. He made it very clear in those Old Testament passages, this is what it should look like. Perhaps I'll just take, for example, the Passover lamb. What would the Passover lamb look like? It should be a male lamb of the first year without blemish. You cannot 
get ready to do your Passover sacrifice. You're going to take the blood of that Passover lamb and place it upon the doorposts of your house as an Old Testament Israelite. You cannot walk out to the flock, have a look around and say, which one, Sonny boy, which one are we going to get and put on the doorpost this year? You don't get to do that. You don't get to go and say, well, you know that that you that's back in the corner, she's had all of the babies she's ever going to have. Crooked ear dragging its leg. We might as well sacrifice that one because it's not going to really count that much. We'll get that one and we'll sacrifice it. No, 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 no. That's not a sacrifice. Hear me well. If it doesn't cost you, it's not a sacrifice. Hear it again. If it doesn't cost you, it's not a sacrifice. By the very definition of the word sacrifice, it will be costly. And so they were called to grab a male of the first year without blemish. So you're going to look after this lamb, you're going to take care of this lamb, and you're going to bring this lamb. He's not going to have any marks. If the lamb has scabies, he doesn't qualify. Foot rot, fly strike, broken leg, birth defect, bit by a dog, run over by a car, or a horse and wagon, doesn't work. Not qualified. It must be a perfect, without blemish, lamb of the first year. God is teaching us a lesson with what it looks like in the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And the lesson is this, you don't make a sacrifice of something that's not costly. You bring your best to the Lord. And as we come from that Old Testament example, you bring your best to the Lord. We come to the New Testament and we talk about present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not the broken, dragged down, run through the gutter body. No, holy acceptable bring your sacrifice and notice that you're called to bring a living sacrifice do you see it in verse 12 that you present your bodies a living sacrifice it was D.L. Moody who made the statement the problem with a living sacrifice is that it has a tendency to crawl off the altar and so I have to keep bringing my living sacrifice back to the Lord And sacrifice again, and this might have to be a daily or maybe even hourly occurrence as I bring my body into subjection and I bring my body to Him. It's not behavior modification. I'm not going to just up and change this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have the Holy Spirit doing His work inside of me. I'm going to grasp the Gospel. We'll see this more practically in just a moment. But I'm not going to just let this... let it go and give God the last leftover pieces... Friend, coming to church is not a living sacrifice. Don't think, oh, I gave him an hour, so I'm good to go. No, your bodies to be a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they would bring that sacrifice to the Lord, slay it, put it on the altar, burn it up, and walk away, and it was over. But you and I are called to bring a living sacrifice again. And again, and again. You don't walk away from this one. Stay with it. 
Don't quit. And then notice the last phrase in chapter 12 and verse 1. This is your reasonable service. Reasonable. It just makes sense. It's logical. The last time, by the way, the last time we saw the word service was in chapter 9 and verse 4. Look over at at chapter 9 and verse 4 with me and we'll see this together. Romans chapter 9 and verse 4 said Paul was speaking of the people of Israel and he said that he wished that he himself could be accursed on their behalf. And in Romans chapter 9 and verse 4 he says, The Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, and here it is, and the service of God and the promises. This was the last time we saw the word service. And it has everything to do with the people of Israel bringing their sacrifices before God. That was their service. You know what our reasonable service is? To bring the living sacrifice before a holy God. Bring it holy. Bring it acceptable. That's your reasonable service. If in the Old Testament they would do that for the covering of their sins, and you and I now have the awesome atonement of Christ's blood upon our sins, so that you and I do not need to bring the blood of bulls and goats, but now you and I can bring our bodies a living sacrifice. Here, God, take my life. Do with my life as you see fit. I'm going to present my body to the one who owns me. He owns you, brothers and sisters. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So what does that look like? Well, remember that you are not your own. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Therefore... Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, because you are bought with a price. He paid the most precious price, namely the blood of Christ, to purchase you, brothers and sisters. Therefore, give your body to Him. The context of 1 Corinthians 6 is sensual immorality. The verses that precede verse 19 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says a question like this, should you as a believer join your body to someone who is not your spouse? And the answer to that is what? Don't you even know your body is not your own? It belongs to Him. Romans chapter 8 and verses 12 and 13 make this statement, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. You're not a debtor to your own body. No, you are a debtor. You're debtor to God. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So I'm going to put this body on the altar and I'm going to sacrifice it. I'm going to give it over to God. God, you take this. Let it be pleasing to you. I'm not going to do what my flesh wants to do. My flesh wants to follow after sin. But instead, I'm going to put my body on the altar It's a metaphorical altar. We're not saying get a knife and cut yourself. But we are saying step aside from the desires of your flesh for if you follow after the flesh, you will die, Romans 8.13. But instead, if you put to death the desires of the flesh and you put yourself on the altar, you will live. 
He gives life. The gospel frees you. You don't have to live for self anymore. Come back to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2 now. And be not conformed to the world. You see, we're called to be transformed, not conformed. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So be not conformed to this world. All throughout the Scripture, the world is used as a word that, is, that, that, that means the sinful parts of society. And so for one culture, it might have a different appearance from another culture, but at its core, it is the sinful parts of society. So don't allow your life to be conformed to the sinful parts of society. Christ did make a statement, you'll live in the world, but you're not of the world. And so it's impossible for you to say, I'm going to be completely separated from the world as if you were going to go and live on some mountain by yourself. That's impossible. You're to live in among the world, but you're not to be conformed to the world. Don't allow the world's sinful ways to conform you into their shape. You see, Christ went to the cross to save you from the world. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. Jesus, who gave Himself for our sins. Notice this phrase, that He might deliver us from the present evil world. Why did Christ go to the cross? So He could... Take you out from this world's sinful ways. Can I just pause here? What good does it do you? Jesus goes to the cross, takes your sin. You pray a prayer. You get your free ticket to heaven. And the rest of your life, you live like the world. What difference does it make? I submit to you that if you can do that, there's a really good chance you never put your trust in Christ. For He promised eternal life. And eternal life happens for all those who believe in Him. He went to the cross to deliver you from this world. Your life should be different. Your actions should be different. Your mind should be different. Your life should be different. Ephesians 4 expounds on this. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So don't walk like unbelievers. That's what he's saying. Your life should be different. Why? Verse 18. They have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They've not seen Jesus Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. The unbelievers, the other Gentiles as he calls them, the unbelievers live that way. They let themselves go hard after, and he gives three of them, lasciviousness and greediness and uncleanness. So that's the way that the world lives and you were called, and you were purchased by one who made you different. You shouldn't be walking that way. Lasciviousness. You say, I haven't used that word this week, and neither did I. Only in my studies. Lasciviousness is sensual immorality. All forms of it. And as I sit and do couples counseling, One of the number one things that I find in our society is that we just don't trust each other. 
You know why we don't trust each other? Because lasciviousness is rampant throughout our society. And we don't have to dwell there long to think about that. We realize it. We see it. Homes are broken up. Threats are made. Can I just step out here for just a moment? Pornography is lasciviousness. And the statistics would blow your mind. Friend, if you're enslaved in pornography, you have a problem with lasciviousness, a problem that Jesus paid for that you don't have to be enslaved to. You can be set free from that. You don't have to live there. Oh, but the first step is acknowledging it and saying something about it. Oh, it's awkward. I know it's awkward. But friend, I want to promise you that once you get that sin and step out of the dark and into the light, sin hates living in the light. You step out of the dark, oh friend, there is freedom to be had. So I might just beg of you, you're having problems in lasciviousness, and you're a believer, step into the light. Get a hold of a Christian brother or sister. I, as your pastor, will volunteer. Help walk you out of that mess. Come and talk to me. Uncleanness. says, the Gentiles in their past ways, they were giving themselves over to lasciviousness and they worked all uncleanness with greediness. And uncleanness, there's two sides of it. There's the practical and there's the moral And on the practical side, you can see what our society looks like with uncleanness. Oh, that's so easy to see as you just go to the market and walk out of the market on the way to a vehicle or the bus stop and you see the pile. I'm talking about a household size of rubbish and the smell will make your stomach turn to the point where you feel pity for the guys that have to clean that up. Might I mention, boy, spit, hither, thither, and yawn. Go to a government office filled with public servants. Walk up the stairwell and find every corner painted. Uncleanness. That's the way society is. And even even immoral uncleanness with the uncleanness of our minds. And then he says greediness as well. Did you ever notice that it seems like within our current society you can't get a single thing done without the person you asking to help help you, that person thinking through what part of the pie they can have a part of. You know what that is? That's greediness. Whatever happened to just helping somebody because they need help? And I see it in something like somebody loses their F postcard. What do you call it? Save card? Save card. How do you say it? Save card. I hear it. Save card and I hear it. Save card. (laughs) Somebody loses their Save card. Somebody else finds it and wants 50 kina to give it back to them. Greediness. That's our society, brothers and sisters. We're called to be different. We're called to be transformed by the Gospel. When you see your brother, we've had two weeks of preaching upon this, when you see your neighbor upon the side of the road, who's my neighbor? It's the one who needs help. When you see your neighbor upon the side of the road, you go out of your way to help them. You don't try to figure out how much out of his account can I get. Greediness. That's how the world lives. 
But he says in verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of his mind. Transformed. The, the Greek word for, that we translate into transformed is the same word that we get, the word metamorphosis. Can I ask how many people remember the word metamorphosis from science class when you were in school? Metamorphosis. And when I say metamorphosis, there's only one kind of metamorphosis I can even think about. And that was the ugly caterpillar became a beautiful butterfly, right? That's a metamorphosis. And in the old ways, it was like this. Hey, I've got a couple of mooly trees up next to my house. Don't come and take my moolies. Something amazing happens. When I see the caterpillar, I get angry. You know why? Because he's going to eat all the leaves off my mooly tree. I see a caterpillar on my mooly tree. I'm going to take that caterpillar and one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to squash him with my fingers or I'm going to throw him on the ground and squash him with my foot. I never look at the caterpillar and say, oh, what a beautiful caterpillar. I just really like you. Wish I could have more of you. No, 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 no. But then something funny happens. I come along and I find a cocoon on the mooly tree. When I find a cocoon, you know what I do? I leave it. The damage is done. Butterflies, or the caterpillar's not going to eat any more leaves. I leave it. You know why? Because, you know, long blood time, it's going to come out as a butterfly. And I'm going to have a butterfly in my yard. That'll be very nice. I'll try to catch him before he goes caterpillar again. Metamorphosis. Transformed. You know what? You're called to be transformed. You're to be changed. You used to be one way. An enemy against God. Worthy of nothing but smashed. But now, you know what he's done with you? He's changed you. He's transformed you. You're a different creature. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're a child of God. This is a beautiful transformation that should happen. And he says, so I'm going to beseech you, present your body a living sacrifice, but then also be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that gives us our second exhortation, practical exhortation. What are you to do? One, you were to present your body. And second, you are to renew your mind. So let's see this, renew your mind. Look back to Romans chapter 1 with me. We'll just take a quick walk through Romans. I won't dwell on many of the verses. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 because you'll get to see what your mind used to be like when you were a lost person. Romans 1 and verse 21. Because that, that's you, when you knew God, you glorified Him not as God, and neither were thankful, but became vain in your imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You and I, in our lost state, before we came to Christ, you and I were fools because we thought we had it all together, and we did not give any assent over to God. Because we thought that way, guess what God did to us? He gave us over to it. Look down to verse 28. Even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Did you ever notice that society in its current sinful state is bent to figuring out other ways to do wrong? It blows my mind the ways that people come up with to do wrong. 
creative new ways. It, it makes me wonder, do they just sit at home and try to figure out? I mean, some of us study other things, but some people, it seems like they sit and study, how can I figure out how to do this bad thing? Mind-boggling when you see all the pieces come together later on. And God says, you don't want to retain me in your mind? Fine, I'll give you over to a reprobate mind. And do you realize that when you and I become believers, our mind is to be transformed. We're to be changed. We're to be different. We're not to stay in that state. We're to be transformed. We need to renew our mind. So then look over to some different ways that we should be thinking. Chapter 3 and verse 22. You should be thinking. You're renewing your mind in different ways. So here's a different way that you should be thinking. Your salvation shows a different way of thinking. This Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. You realize that your salvation is based upon what you think. I now believe Jesus went to the cross. So now I am made righteous before God. This is happening in my thinking. Look over at chapter 6 and verse 11. If you're a believer, I hope that this verse will strike you. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's not just your salvation, it's your struggle with sin. So what's he say there? Reckon yourselves. You know what the word reckon is? Think this way. Consider yourself to be this way. So reckon yourself to be dead to sin. So when sin comes along and does its work of trying to dangle some tempting sin in front of you, you are able to say, no, wait, I'm thinking differently now. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive in Christ. I don't have to go down this road. When I was an unbeliever, I was stuck going down this road. I had no hope. But now I am a believer because Christ has changed me. I'm dead to this, so I'm going to reckon myself to be dead indeed unto sin. And then look over at chapter 8 and verse 18. So this is not just for your salvation or your struggle with sin, but it's also for your sufferings in your daily life. Because let's be honest, brothers and sisters, sufferings and trials, tribulations come up in the life of every single believer. It's not you got saved and now the rest of life is going to be happily ever after. It doesn't happen that way. So your sufferings in this daily life, look at a new way to think. Romans 8 and verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's a new way to think. So when whatever that problem or trial is that comes up in your life, instead of turning your back and saying, I hate God for bringing this into my life, Instead, you start thinking, I reckon that this suffering is nothing compared to what's coming in the future. Oh, we have a whole new way of thinking. Now, before I come back to Romans 12, and I'll be there in just a second, I want to step out of the book of Romans for just a moment and help us with thinking through how does this renewing of your mind happen? I'll throw these verses up on the board. The word renewing shows up twice in the New Testament. Once is here in Romans 12, 2. The other one is in Titus 3, 5. I'll read for you Titus 3, 5 so that this will help you. We're talking about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
So this renewing is going to, how's that going to happen? Here's Titus 3 and verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I want you to look at it closely. Who is doing the renewing? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that's doing the renewing in you. What's happening? Your mind is being renewed, and then your life is being transformed. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing this. So then that causes me to think, well, what is the Holy Spirit doing within me? So I've got to search this out. What does the Holy Spirit do? And that answer can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. He points us to Jesus. Now follow me. We're talking about how do I renew my mind? It's happening because the Holy Spirit's working in me. And what's the Holy Spirit doing to me to renew my mind? Here you go, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all, with open face, beholding as in the glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even, here's the phrase, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what's happening? The Holy Spirit is renewing me as I gaze upon the glory of the Lord. What's that look like? Here, I'll give you another phrase. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. We behold Him as in a glass. The the idea is, you're looking at at, at a mirror. And the more that I look at the mirror, and I'm not seeing me, and I'm looking at Him, and I'm seeing Jesus. I'm looking at the glory of the Lord And the more I look at Him, the more I'm changed. So here I'm looking at Jesus. Remember Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross and despised the shame. You and I also following in those footsteps. I'm looking at Jesus as it were in a mirror. I'm not seeing me, I'm seeing Him. And the longer I look at Him, the more I become like Him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is drawing me to love Him and be like Him. And by the way, just five verses after this verse, five verses later is 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, and it tells us what Satan is doing to unbelievers. Here's what it is, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. And whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So on one hand, you have Satan doing his best to keep people from seeing Jesus. You know why? Because when they see Jesus, he changes them. So Satan does his best to stop it. But once you become a child of God, Satan no longer has any power over you. So then he can't stop it anymore. Now you're in Christ. And you can have the indwelling Holy Spirit working in you, renewing you, and you're being renewed, your mind is being renewed, you're looking at Jesus, and you're being changed, and your life is being transformed. Oh, this is a great promise for us, brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit will do His work. So look at the Gospel. See Jesus. Love the glory of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's a closing phrase here, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If I were to diagram, SPIA students would know what I'm talking about. If I were to diagram these sentences, it would look like this. Present your body, renew your mind, and this will happen. 
We're called to do those two practical things. I'm going to present my body. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm presenting it over to God. He, does, he controls my life. I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And what will flow out of it that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Namely, the will of God for your life will be played out. It will come out in your life because you did these other things. Now, the word prove is an interesting word. I was talking with Becky about this this week, and she pointed out something that I just thought, oh, this is, I think, a perfect example here. Those of you that are Americans speaking English, you probably never used the word this way. But the rest of us, I have a feeling that there's a really good chance you might have heard something like proofing the dough. Some of you understand what I'm talking about? All right, so for all the Americans, I'll explain, okay? You might say, letting the dough rise. But in British terminologies, they say, proofing the dough. So here's what's going on. If you're a mama, and you're working scones, and you're making bread for the family... If you bought the green flour, self-rising, you don't probably pay much attention to this. You just cook and you make it happen. But if you got the blue one, all-purpose flour, you got the blue one, and then you added the yeast in, you know what's going to happen to that bread, right? Now you, you don't put the yeast in, mix it up, and throw it in the oven. You don't do that. No, you mix the yeast in, then you let it sit there, and it sits, I don't know, I'm not a baker, it might sit 30 minutes, 45 minutes, something will say, you know, I don't know. And you let that yeast rise. By the way, the British term is proving the dough. And what you're doing is you're allowing that bread to rise, and then you're going to take that bread. When you see it has risen, you know the yeast has done its work inside. You take that and you put it into the oven and you cook it, it comes out as wonderful bread. Now, what you would never do, you would never mix the yeast in, let it sit, you come back to it, no change has happened. You say, ah, tram all. stick it in the oven. You know why? Because it's going to come back as a brick. And nobody wants to eat brick bread. You want to eat a loaf of bread. That time of sitting on the shelf and rising is proving. So you set it there, you walk away, you come back half an hour later, and you've proved the dough. You know what you've done? You've shown with certainty that the things that have gone on on the inside is a reflection of what you were expecting. Put it in the oven. You and I, believers... We present our body as a living sacrifice. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And what will happen as a result of that? We will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He will live out through us. You know what is not the perfect and acceptable will of God? That you get angry at your neighbors and throw stuff at your wife. That you commit adultery and live in lasciviousness and greediness. Those are not the will of God for your life. But what is the will of God for your life? That you'd be transformed by the gospel. Father, I pray that we would take seriously the exhortations, present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. And I would be transformed by the renewing of my mind. 
And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that we would take the gospel, apply it to our lives. Oh, Lord, you know the wiles of the devil and you know the ways of the world. You've provided us with new identities and new promises. And I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that we would grasp this reality and that we would not be conformed to this world. ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen. Thank you, church. Love you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.